See, Isaiah's audience had an expectation that God would give them the life they deserved. Their pleasures, their delights, their wants, their motivations for worship, their fasting, their delight in knowing God's ways and drawing near to him. But the real need was for them to embrace the delight and wonder of God himself, who he is, the deepest delight and the highest treasure. Welcome to the Gospel Chapel podcast. My name is Doug Dunbar, the lead pastor at Gospel Chapel, and thank you for finding us. We are in a short series on the practice of Sabbath, and uh, that's part of our vision. It uh, comes out of our confession of faith as a Mennonite Brethren Church, and it's just something that a lot of people need because we don't know how to practice Sabbath well. We don't know how to take a break well. Uh, a break that honors God, that glorifies God, and that finds our rest and delight in Him. And that's what we're going to talk about today, is the delight of Sabbath. Abraham Heschel, in his book on Sabbath, says, All days of the week must be spiritually consistent with the day of days. All our life should be a pilgrimage to the seventh day. The thought and appreciation of what this day may bring to us should be ever-present in our minds. For the Sabbath is the counterpoint of living, the melody sustained throughout all agitations and vicissitudes which menace our conscience, our awareness of God's presence in the world. What we are depends on what the Sabbath is to us. The law of the Sabbath day is in the life of the spirit what the law of gravitation is to nature. And so we need to learn to delight in the Sabbath and make that uh, just a centerpiece of our lives because it is so life-giving. So enjoy this message now on the delight of Sabbath. Well, we are in week three of a look at the practice of Sabbath. Uh, last week, we explored the connection of the practice of Sabbath as part of our vision as a church, uh, our confession of faith as Mennonite Brethren Church, and the freedom that we have in Christ for the practice of Sabbath. In the first week, we looked at biblical foundation and the call to remember and keep the Sabbath from the Ten Commandments and the reorientation of the purpose of Sabbath that Jesus Christ brought when he began healing and restoring people on the Sabbath. The reality that in Christ, the full and eternal rest is what Sabbath points us towards. Sabbath is the call to stop all our work and to enter a day of rest along with our family, our co-workers, employees, everyone. We're to stop trying to make something of ourselves and our world and enjoy the world as it is and who we are in this beautiful, wonderful world that we inhabit. Sabbath invites us really to tune out the ugliness of the world and tune into the beauty. Sabbath invites us to rest in God who is always at work for our good and the restoration of all things. Sabbath reminds us that as creatures, we have limitations of time and energy. Our work will never be done. So the invitation is really to let ourselves off the hook of performance and perfection and pressure. Because one day we will not be here. And all the things we get so worked up about aren't going to matter as much. Ecclesiastes, we studied this a couple years ago. We went through Ecclesiastes, and over and over we heard words like this from Ecclesiastes 5, 18 to 20. Behold what 
I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is a gift from God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. That's just an amazing passage to think, you know, you're just not going to get all caught up about everything because of the joy that God provides. Today we're turning our attention to the delight of the Sabbath. We we talked about stopping and resting. Today we're going to talk about delight. And next week we're going to talk about worship. That the Sabbath is designed for Worship, but the Sabbath is also designed for delight. This was and is God's purpose for the Sabbath right from the beginning. And that in the difficulties and the trials and the stresses of life, we we would have this oasis of life and hope and joy and peace and wholeness. Because trouble in this life is inevitable, but joy is a choice. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Paul prayed three times that the thorn in his side would be removed, and God said, in effect, he said this, your life is going to continue to be difficult, but I'm with you, and my grace is sufficient for you in your pain. I will be the rest and the restoration and the healing and the freedom that you need even though the pain will remain. Sabbath is a weekly rhythm of remembering God is our creator, that all that he has made is very good, and that we are his image-bearing creatures that he formed and fashioned for his pleasure to live in relationship with him. Sabbath is a weekly reminder that while we were slaves to sin and dead in trespasses and sins, God made us alive in Christ. He came to our rescue even before we knew we needed him. Sabbath reminds us that our Redeemer is present and active and working to bring freedom to captives, sight for the blind, healing for the lame and the broken, life to the dead, and hope to those in despair. In Exodus chapter 2, before Moses is even aware that God has a mission to redeem his people out of slavery in Egypt, we read this in verses 23 to 25. During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel. And God knew. Joseph Lieberman, a U.S. senator, politician, and also a Jewish writer, stated in his book, The Gift of Rest, Rediscovering the Beauty of Sabbath, that the purpose of the day is not, as one may think, to recharge our batteries so we can work harder, but instead to recharge our souls so we can live better. Sabbath is to recharge our souls so we can live better. 
It's not just about taking a break and letting things go. It's about celebrating the life and the beauty that God has created in us and around us. It's a call to delight in God's goodness. And today we're going to consider Isaiah chapter 58. So if you want to turn in your Bibles, Isaiah chapter 58. The context is this is getting close to the end of the book of Isaiah, and Isaiah is, has painted a picture of, of restoration and renewal that the people of God will experience when God works and brings them back to the promised land. But there's tensions that are still happening. There's issues not, not in where the people are, but in who the people are and how they're approaching God. And today as we read through Isaiah 58, there are two broad categories that kind of sum up this chapter. There's fasting and there's feasting. There's a fast that God does not want and there's a feast that he invites us to. And so let's stand together and I'll read Isaiah chapter 58 as we hear the word of the Lord. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgressions and to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. In such is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of, the wick, of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house, when you see the naked to cover him and not hide your flesh, yourself from your own flesh, then you sh shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. And you shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the speaking of wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water, whose waters do not fail. 
And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called a repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to dwell in. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, If you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the word of the Lord. And seat. Again, two broad categories. There's the fasting that God does not want, and so there's fasting and then there's feasting. There's taking delight. There's, there's twice that the word delight happens at the beginning of the passage. In the first few verses, it's about taking delight in fasting and taking delight in drawing near to God. And it's very interesting how that is judged. And then at the end, it's taking delight in the Sabbath and taking delight in God Himself, And so those are kind of the two bookends, the main focus I want us to have. There's a way to delight in your religion, in your obedience, maybe. (laughs) And then there's a way to delight in what God has called us to. So first thing is that there's a fasting that God does not want. The first five verses, look at verse two again. This this is kind of shocking. They seek me daily and delight to know my ways. That's a good thing, right? Look at the next phrase. As if they were a righteous nation. The people are fasting. They're delighting to know God's ways. They, they, They want to draw near to him. But the question is, comes out, what's going on here? This, this is the key phrase, as if they were a nation that did righteousness. They were doing the religious stuff. And here is the perennial problem of people assuming that if they do the right religious things, if they get out their coins and plunk them into the, the God vending machine, then he will spit out the nice fizzy drink they want. If we do all the right religious things, then God is somehow obligated to give us the life we want and we think we deserve. If we do enough Bible study, if we go to all the prayer meetings, if we sing the right songs, if we give money, then God owes us. And this is a perennial problem of God's people. What happens here is that human beings presume to have power and authority over God. And really, that's just flat-out paganism. That's assuming that God is somehow controllable, a supernatural vending machine. If we use the right words, the right works, and the right rituals. The two statements of Uh, regarding this from Jesus. In Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14, uh, Jesus gives this parable of the, um, uh, the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee is standing at the temple and saying, oh, thank you, God, for blessing me, and that I'm not like this guy, this poor tax collector, this traitor of your people. Oh, thank you so much, I'm not like him. Oh, bless me. 
I'm so good. And the tax collector is just like, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, the guy that goes away in right standing with God isn't the Pharisee who thinks he's got it all together. It's the guy who knows his life is a mess. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, perhaps the most scary verses in the whole Bible. There will come a day when you will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not in your name drive out demons and heal diseases and, and do all of this stuff in your name? And Jesus will say, I tell you the truth, I never knew you. You see, we can do all the right stuff without a relationship with God. We can show up every week, we can go to all the Bible studies, do all of the ministry things, be busy, busy, busy for God, and not actually know him. You can't live on somebody else's faith. Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to A&W makes you a hamburger. It doesn't work that way. And that's what Isaiah is speaking about in chapter 58, that all of this fasting and the seeking of God was self-centered. They were doing things, the religious stuff, so they could get what they wanted from God, but they were also doing it while ignoring and abusing other people, which is exactly what God hates. If you keep going down that passage, you fasted. Now, or why have we fasted and you don't see it? Well, then God says, well, you're being selfish about this. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and fight and hit with the wicked fist. You think that's going to get my attention? It's this self-righteous, I am right and I deserve stuff from God that God says that's not going to work. In fact, their focus on fasting itself was so misguided. You know, there's only two times in the Old Testament where fasting is even commanded. Two times only. And once in Leviticus 16, about the Day of Atonement, there is a, a command to fast there, but that's it. And then in Joel, the three times he calls for the people to fast. But other than that, fasting in the Old Testament is something that uh, leaders enjoin on their people. You should fast. We need to seek God, so go into fasting. But God never commands fasting other than those two times. He commands Sabbath a whole bunch more. He commands loving your neighbor as you love yourself way more. There is a fast that God does want, verses 6 to 12. Fasting that will result in blessing from God. It's fasting that looks for the good of others. The fasting that God looks for isn't just self-abasement so that you can somehow put God in your debt. It is going without so that you can meet the needs of others. Take what you're now eating, take what you're now wearing and use it to give it to people who need it. That's the focus of the whole next section. And, and if you do this, if this is the kind of fasting you practice, then this will light your way, this will bring healing to your life and this will glorify God and keep, his eyes, keep your eyes on him rather than yourselves. This is the fasting that God responds to. It embodies the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. 
So then fasting isn't about going without, but it is about sharing out of the abundance we have with others and embodying that same work that God does for us in his salvation for us. It is personally acting in ways that will bless others and provide for them. It speaks well of others. It satisfies the desires of others. And when we do that, then we find that our desires and our needs are met when we serve others. The fasting the people were engaged in looked to satisfy their own desires, their own delights, and their own pleasures at the expense of others. But God's definition of fasting is the exact opposite. But then he turns at the end of this chapter in the last few verses, and he stops talking about fasting, and he starts talking about Sabbath. What's the connection here? Well, Sabbath is about feasting, not about fasting. And Sabbath is about enjoying God and others. Sabbath is about finding delight in God. And when we delight in God, we find what we really need. Verse 13 and 14. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, or uh, maybe a, a different way to translate that is if you watch your step around the Sabbath, and you don't just do it for your own pleasure on my holy day, but called the Sabbath a delight. A delight, rather than a requirement, rather than a burden, rather than a have-to, because that's kind of where religion takes you eventually, is it's just about having to do this, and I have to do that, and I have to, have to, have to. But if it's a delight, if it is a joy, if it's something you look forward to all week, and the... uh, 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 Jewish circles, rabbinic circles, they call the Sabbath the bride or the queen of the week. And all week it's anticipating the arrival of the bride, which is also why in some uh, Jewish circles, one of the key scripture readings on the evening of the Sabbath is the Song of Songs. And we'll touch on that a bit later because I think that's an interesting bit too. Sabbath is about finding delight in God, not what we want. You call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable. If you honor it, not going your own ways first, not seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. Then you shall take delight in the Lord. Where the joy and the satisfaction in life comes from our relationship with him, not in the religious routines of life. We get back to the foundation of Sabbath here in the Ten Commandments. We find it is a community event. Everyone's invited. Everyone's involved. Sabbath's outcome is to give us life and satisfaction as we find our deepest delight in the Lord himself. Alec Moiter in in his Isaiah commentary said this, in the structure of this poem, and he's talking about the whole chapter, uh, verses 13 to 14a are the feast with a blessing matching the fast without a blessing. Right, we go back to the first two uses of delight. It's like you delight to do all of this religious stuff, but it's coming up empty. 
Call the delight of Sabbath and delight in the Lord. This is satisfaction. So, so the fasting without a blessing verses 14. The verse 14 is a promise matching the rebuke of verse 1, but the verse also forms the third if-then statement. If you truly keep the Sabbath, then the blessings that you're really seeking and what you really need in your life will follow. And here's uh, the end, end of this quote. I think this is so good. The Lord is more concerned with the enjoyment of his blessings through obedience to his commands than in self-imposed deprivations. The Lord is more concerned with the enjoyment of his blessings to enjoy the Sabbath, to call it honorable, to in- embrace it as a bride, to use that Jewish imagery through obedience to his commands, the command to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, than in self-imposed deprivations. And that's what fasting is. He's more concerned that we would just enjoy what he has given us as a gift. Rabbi Pincus Taylor in the Chabad website article, uh, The Nature of Sabbath Rest, states this, Sabbath is not primarily about physical rest. It's about entering an entirely different state of mind and state of being that transcends the weekdays. During the week, we alter our surroundings. On the Sabbath, we simply enjoy them. We temporarily exchange the creative conveniences that technology has given us and instead bask in the blessings that God has given us. Sabbath is about the celebration of what God has done, is doing, and will do as his kingdom comes and his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. It is the anticipation of the fullness of his kingdom and the eternal rest and restoration that Jesus came to inaugurate when he secured, and which he secured in his death and resurrection as the Messiah. Another quote from this article by, by this uh, Rabbi Taylor. I thought this was very interesting. Listen carefully. The Talmud calls the Sabbath an anticipation of the messianic time, and the messianic time the unending Sabbath. The day on which property and money as well as mourning and sadness are taboo. A day on which time is defeated and pure being rules. The Babylonian Talmud was written probably before the time of Christ. The Jewish commentary and thought around what, what, these, what their scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures mean. And, and the anticipation of messianic time, an unending Sabbath where property and money and mourning and sadness are taboo. Isn't it interesting that this ancient Jewish rabbinic view of Sabbath is very much the same as what John declares in Revelation 22 with the new heavens and the new earth. Sabbath is an invitation to celebrate the new heavens and the new earth restored, renewed, recreated, where all the strife and the pain of this world is healed. Sabbath is an invitation to live in that reality and anticipation of that reality in the midst of a broken and hurting world. We are to put away all of the things that, that, that cause us busyness so that we can experience just the lack of doing and just the state of being because that's what eternity is about.
Where time is absent and there is no need for sun or moon, for the Lord and the lamp provide eternal light, Sabbath is a celebration and anticipation of the coming of Christ. But like the people Isaiah is called to loudly confront, does our pursuit of God and our delight in religious practice and tradition seek to bless others or obtain a blessing from God? Are we self-centered in our worship, feeling that because we do stuff for God, he must do stuff for us? What if the God from whom no creature is hidden, who sees us for exactly who we are and simply wants us to take delight in what he has done for us, what he has already provided for us in Christ? He wants us to take delight in him. Then you shall take delight in the Lord, Isaiah 58, 14. See, Isaiah's audience had an expectation that God would give them the life they deserved. Their pleasures, their delights, their wants, their motivations for worship, their fasting, their delight in knowing God's ways and drawing near to him. But the real need was for them to embrace the delight and wonder of God himself, who he is, the deepest delight and the highest treasure. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Cease striving, another way to translate that. And know experiential, hands-on, physical, experiential knowledge that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted over all the earth. What's going on now is nothing compared to the exaltation of God in Christ Jesus, who is King of kings and Lord of lords and ruler of all. Isaiah 30, 15, For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved, and quietness and trust shall be your strength. Or, or kind of maybe another way that you've heard this translated, NIV I think puts it this way, in repentance and rest is your salvation, in quietness and trust is your strength. But that verse ends with this phrase, but you were unwilling. You were unwilling to repent, you were unwilling to return, you were unwilling to rest. You were unwilling to be quiet, you were unwilling to trust. But it is in repentance and rest we find our salvation and quietness and trust is our strength. May we be found willing to turn to God and to rest in God and to be quiet and to trust him. To stop working so hard for our own benefit, our own good and our own progress and to rest in God's beauty and his provision for us and who he is, what he has provided for us in family, in creation, and in salvation. This is the invitation of Sabbath, and this is the call to delight in the provision and the providence of God. In your bulletin, there's some practical, two practical applications on the insert. You could read through that. 
I like, love this quote from Tim Keller. Because the world is so full of ugly things, we need the Sabbath to feed our soul with beauty. So how do we celebrate Sabbath delight? Some practical ways. And I know our family's going to sit down and start talking through some of this stuff. Because we'll need to make some changes in our schedule. I, I don't know about you, but how often do you just go to church over and over and over, but really you don't make any adjustments in your life? We need to sit down. We need to talk through. What are some adjustments? Because... Entering into something like this, like planning a Sabbath feast, means we got a plan. <laughs> you actually have to organize yourself to do this, right? You know, things like, you know, they're, they're, they're used to, uh, Jewish tradition uses two candles uh, at the feast. And, and this is like when the sun goes down on Friday night, they light two candles. And, and, the, and the woman of the house uh, offers a blessing and invites Sabbath in. And they remember through these two candles, Exodus 20, 8 to 11, that, that God is our creator. And the second candle is, is to keep the Sabbath, Deuteronomy 5, where we remember the redemption. Read a psalm together. Psalm 92 is, is the only psalm in, in all of psalms that has a heading for the Sabbath. And we're going to look at that one next week in detail as the Sabbath calls us to worship. Pray a blessing over your family over your children, feast and enjoy a great meal and, a good, and good conversation. Make sure it's like the highlight of your week. In, in Jewish tradition, if, 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 uh, if, uh, if they found the goat that they thought, oh, this is gonna be the perfect meal on, on Sabbath, you know, and they found it on Monday, you know, you, you, you went to the meat shop and you found the absolutely best roast on Monday, but then you found a better one on Thursday, well then you better eat the one on Thursday so that the better one can be for Friday night. Right? You go, oh geez, this was really good, but I found something better, so I'm gonna eat this one now and we'll, we'll get the best. We'll make sure we, we save the best for this celebration meal, and it's a feast and it's an enjoyment. Now, like I said, when, uh, uh, at the, the Sephardic Jewish people, they actually read the Song of Songs as part of that feast? No, I don't know. It's night, candlelit dinner, beautiful feast, read the Song of Psalms, kids go to bed now. <laughs> it's actually another part, I didn't write it down there, but you know, one of, the, uh, one of the things you can add to section two on pleasure stacking, married people. It's actually part of Jewish tradition. I know all the guys are like, yep, I'm in. I wasn't sure about the Sabbath thing, but now I'm in. Let's read the Song of Songs right at the end of dinner. Send the kids to bed. May we be found willing to turn to God and rest in him and just enjoy the beautiful world and life he's given us. Richard Foster ends his classic celebration of the disciplines with the discipline of celebration, and it is that. It is a discipline. It's something we need to practice because it's awkward. It's unfamiliar to us at first to set aside one day a week to just enter into celebration, joy, and delight. In relation to celebration, Richard Foster says this, celebration adds a note of gaiety, festivity, and hilarity into our lives. After all, Jesus rejoiced so fully in life, he was accused of being a wine-bibber and a glutton. Many of us lead such sour lives, we cannot possibly be accused of such things. <laughs> I 
Well, the church is often caricatured as a place of no fun, no joy, and no celebration, but we of all people should be the most joyful, celebratory, and fun people on the planet because we've been set free from the law of sin and death. We have a hope eternal secured for us in Christ Jesus. There is nothing in all creation that can separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's something to celebrate every day. And may it fill our hearts with joy unspeakable and full of glory. So maybe it's time to stop being so grumpy about life and start celebrating the gift that God has given and the blessings that he has provided. There is so much more to celebrate than to complain about. And Sabbath invites us to start living it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the simple, simple reality that you have set aside this seventh day for us to just enjoy your goodness. For us to simply enjoy the world that you made and the people with whom we share it. Lord, it's not a call to something complicated, but a call to just simply be together to rest in you in repentance and rest and in turning to you. Just simply turning our hearts and our lives to you and resting in that. We find our salvation in quietness, in stillness. That's not just external, but something in our hearts too. Lord, would you help us to quiet our hearts and our minds in a world that is so busy and noisy? We need the quietness and trust, leaning on you, will find strength. We need your salvation, and so, Lord, help us to turn to you and rest in you. We need your strength, so help us to cease striving and know that you're God. And be quiet in your presence. Thank you, Lord, that we can delight in you. As we delight in the world you've made for us, in the lives you've given us, help us to find our joy deeply, deeply rooted in your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.